Golight presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. Is it a bit of a cop out to say you're sociopathic if you're just a wanker? Right? So- sociopathic behaviour has to be compounded and consistent. So if you are just mm. an asshole, just makes you an asshole sometimes. Sorry. I'm Sonia Lennon. And I'm Brendan Courtney. And you're listening to the Lennon Courtney podcast. Oh, and we're so excited you are. If you're a first time listener, Welcome. If you enjoy this week's episode, we have seven series already under our beautiful belts, so you have lots to go back and enjoy. Plus, while you're there, why not leave us a positive review, possibly five stars, on Spotify or iTunes or both? Okay, back to this week though, and in this episode, we're looking at sociopaths and asking who is the sociopath in your life? Not pointing at anyone. We want to know what makes a sociopath, how you can spot one, plus our own interactions with them. Right, let's get started. So, um, I just want to jump straight in. Talking about the sociopath in your life was Sonia's idea. Yes. So, <laughs> and I'm a little paranoid you're talking about me. Well, why did you want to talk about... Why did you think I was talking about you? I don't know. Well, when I read into it, I did some research for this. Um, Are you borderline? Borderline sociopath, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ambitious side of me is a little sociopathic. Tell me why you wanted to talk about it. So, I'm I'm kind of fascinated increasingly fascinated and actually there's a there's a beautiful thread of information from last week's episode Madonna's face around the obsession that began in the 1800s with classification right so in the age of enlightenment botanists started to classify people do you know what the bit of the book that i'm going to read in a minute is the classification of sci-fi from 1800s. <laughs> but that's it, right? So I Whoa. think... I think... Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, I think we are obsessed as a society by bucketing people into classifications. And I think increasingly we are pathologizing personalities. So sidebar... There's an amazing uh, non-binary comedian called Alanuk Anuk, and he has just done a new Netflix series. It's all over the place. I don't even know if it's out yet about non-binary discussion, and it's all about the categorization of humankind. And he, 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 there's a great few clips about it. I'll find it, but exactly that he is forging a new. And I'm not. He said, "I'm not a hero." She, they, oh, they say, "I'm not a hero. I'm not looking for. I'm just living my life." But I'm being commended constantly for living my life as because an somebody else has classified me. Isn't that interesting? It is because I think it, it's almost like we've re- we've reached or we're reaching peak classification. Episode alert! Episode alert! Episode alert! Classification. classification. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> classification. <laughs> Across the nation. <laughs> just for classification. <laughs> Across the nation. But do you think, I'm just jumping in, do you think the class, like increased kind of refinement of personality types is to do also, does it, maybe it ties into narcissism and wanting to have a label? Narcissism is definitely a big piece of this, but in, interestingly, if you... In what you, way? Sorry, I, I'm not... Well, there's a huge link. Uh, not all narcissists are sociopaths, but most sociopaths are narcissists. It 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 kind of fits in that way. But if you think about um, so the 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 Bible for um, any sort of behavioral or psychological disorder is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is now the DSM five because that's the edition it is, right? So anything that you want to find out about personality disorders is in the DSM five. So if, if I'm like a, a psychiatrist, I would have this on my shelf. Exactly. Would I? Okay. Exactly, or or a psychologist or whatever. But wait for it. Take for example a phenomenon like PTSD. 
Oh, right. Don't get me started. There are in the DSM five. There are six hundred and thirty-seven listed symptoms for PTSD. And that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Correct. Which is de- defined as any um, experience that is outside of the norm and cannot be processed. Okay. So, how many of those symptoms would I have to have? Even just one symptom? One or two. But really? Which means that, you know, 637 different symptoms could all qualify for one uh, classification, so, if you so, like, to so come back to that word. Are we saying then, do we smell a little rat here? I think we're overclassifying okay. personalities. Right. And and so I'm I'm fascinated because I, I think I know a couple of sociopaths. Oh. I'm pretty sure I know a couple of sociopaths. But... If you think about it, right, so a sociopath is... Actually, I was just about to say, let's define it because when you brought this... Well, hang on. Yeah, when you brought the subject up, I will be totally honest, I was confused. And there is a confusion, right, Mm. between sociopath and psychopath, right? There is, yeah. So what's the definition of a sociopath? So so if you take a... A sociopath is somebody who is unwilling to conform to social, moral, ethical and legal codes. Are they, are they, do they do that in a subversive way? Do they do that under cloak and, you know, is it hidden? So they, they, they tend to have a predatory nature. And is that because they ha- don't suffer from guilt? They don't suffer, well, it's not that they don't suffer from guilt, but they're not, they're not predisposed to suffer from guilt, remorse or empathy. But they have done research to show that if the conditions are right, um, researchers can prod a sociopath into having empathy. But it takes a lot more work. So it's not that they can't empathise. It's just that they're not predisposed to empathise. So the way you're describing it now, you know some nasty people at the school gate or say somebody is not that connected to you in your real life, but you can see that they've sociopathic behaviour because maybe you've had to interact with them, right? Are, is it a bit of a cop out to say you're a sociopath if you're just a wanker? Well, so here's <laughs> the thing. The right? so- sociopathic behaviour has to be compounded and consistent. So if you are just um. an asshole, Right. Sometimes yeah. that doesn't make you a sociopath. Just makes you an asshole sometimes. Sorry, <laughs> but if you're a sociopath, it's that consistent behaviour which is uh, malign, predatory, um, dysfunctional to our societal mores, and and narcissistic. So, so on, it's about the self. It's a kind of a, an exaggerated. So on my walk with my lovely friend Louise, I said that we were going to be doing this, and she said, "Oh, I have this book for you, Confessions of a Sociopath, by a woman, a woman who is a pseudonym called Emmy Thomas. It's not really her name." And she starts off going, "She doesn't identify." That'd be her. a pseudonym. Yeah, she, <laughs> she starts off by saying, "Oh yeah, sorry, she doesn't want to identify herself because it's pretty revelationary." And she lives. She's a, a lawyer. She lives a normal life. She has family and children, but she was, as you say, repeatedly behaving in a predatory way. It starts off with her as a young uh, teenager drowning a possum because it was just in the pool and so she just held it under the ground. Because she could. Because she could. She just drowned it rather than pick it out. And she didn't have any remorse. Didn't, and then she was like, <laughs> walked away from the drowned possum and thought, that, that that's not right. So she had the understanding of the moral the code. cognizance of she, it. Cognizance. But here's the thing, right? You say she's a lawyer. So yes. the... the um, Say we take this to the next level. We take it from, and we'll explain in a second so what's before, the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. So come back is. a step, though, because I'm interested. I know you can't identify the sociopaths, you know. Or can you? No, I can't. Okay. Because I don't want them to come after me. <laughs> so you're the way you've just described that somebody, you know, regularly shows no remorse, doesn't suffer from guilt, and is predatory. You actually do know more than one of person like that. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Well, well, statistically, one in twenty-five of us are sociopaths. So there's a lot of it. 
When you were reading the diagnostic, so think about somebody listening to this now and then you're, you're sitting there and if you're sort of ambitious or you work hard or you're, you know, maybe you've stepped over a couple of people to, to go up the career ladder or whatever. Pull, would and see pull it, the ladder up. pull the ladder up and all that kind of You could be listening to this kind of wondering, as I was wondering while I was reading this book, am I a sociopath? Well, there's a very easy test for that. Oh! <laughs> and it's Which called means, yeah. Hare's Sociopath Test. Did you do it? I did do it. Um, I'm not a sociopath and I'm 1.5% less sociopath than the average bear. So I'm, I'm... An empath. Yeah, exactly. But what's interesting, you talk about the lawyer. Um, so the, the rates of, of psychopathy and sociopathy rise uh, in the upper executive levels as documented in the book, The Mask of Sanity. So they reckon 4% of CEOs are sociopathic. Wow. So to get, I mean... Because and, and consumerism it, loves sociopathy. Oh, take no prisoners, walk all over everybody. And politics. Greed is good. Uh-huh. And certain types of politics, yeah. obviously not all politics, but certain types of politics, according to this book as well, attracts. So come here, you didn't do the test. You didn't do the sociopath no, test. I'm afraid to. But yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know. I like living in my ignorant world of sociopathy. No, you're not a sociopath. I can, I can. No, my therapist told me I'm an empath. Well, there you go. Yeah. So well, before you go into the book, we do little a few little facts. Go for it. You, you've divulged some of them already. But yeah, as you said, one in 25. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> She's doing her job. I've got a very limited window here for me to talk. Non- nonsense. Well, yeah, as you said, one in 25 people in North America are sociopaths. And that is from a great book we'll include in the show notes as well. Uh, the Sociopath Next Door. 4% of CEOs are psychopaths, but could be as high as 12%. That was in Forbes magazine. However, about 20% of prisoners are psychopaths. I, I mean, you wonder if a CEO... Someone in a kind of blue or white collar job fell on hard times. Could they have ended up in prison? Well, that's what she, that's what this book says. So she says that um, if you're born into a, if you're a sociopath born into a drug dealing family, you'll definitely follow crime. Well, that's it. It's genetic and environmental. Yeah, so and it's if you're born into a middle class family, you'll probably become a CEO or a lawyer, right? Yeah. That's what she said. You kind of find your path in, in your sociopathic way. But interesting in this book, before you get into diagnosis, right? She says that she's actually a psychopath, but she doesn't like that label because it's much harder for people to to associate towards her if she identifies as a psychopath. So she she feels comfortable to identify as a sociopath. Mm-hmm. So they are very closely linked, aren't they? Well, so I, I, I heard a great description of the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. Oh. So a sociopath is kind of um, sloppy and reactive. A sociopath is? Sociopath. So that suggests a little more emotional. Very emotional, uh, reactive. And a psychopath is calculating and responsive. So a sociopath Oof, might get into got to chill the way you said that. <laughs> a, a sociopath might get into a barroom brawl and like totally mess somebody up. Whereas if, if a psychopath is in a similarly provocative situation, he'll come back three days later and kill you. <laughs> Or folly into the toilet. Or folly into the toilet. So it, it, it's more responsive and calculating. So in, in her book, okay, most of these factors are still used today to diagnose sociopaths and psychopaths and others with antisocial disorders. Here's the factors, right? So does this apply to you? And I got the, I was lying in bed going, are Louise and Sonia trying to tell me something? <laughs> so it, some of these factors include superficial charm and good intelligence. Tick box. <laughs> Absence of delusions and other signs of irrational thinking. Absence of nervousness, nervousness or psych- psychoneurotic manifestations, unreliability, untruthfulness and insincerity, lack of remorse and shame, inadequately motivated antisocial behaviour, poor judgment. Of, and then, then I was like, OK, I'm all right. Poor judgment and failure to learn by experience, pathological egocentricity and incapacity for love. Uh-huh. So when I was reading down the list, you know, you do know people like this, right? You do. 
<laughs> well, we all do. If there's one in 25 sociopaths yeah. out there, we all know them. So do you think, okay, so I'm really, I love to talk about somebody in real life. Okay, so let's make up one of the ones that you know, okay? We won't identify where in your life they are. How, now that you can sit here facing me and say, I know a sociopath, I've seen them behave. Do you have to deal with them? Do you, did you cut them out? What do you do? What's your advice? So funny enough, the two sociopaths that I know, I know through people that I love. And on many occasions, I had conversations with the people I love who said, I wish they were dead. I would consider hiring a hitman to kill them. Wow. Wow. And, and <laughs> you now, are the, just the gift that keeps on giving today. The, now, the, I, I know <laughs> that neither of those people were ever going to hire a hitman, but that's how destructive those people were in their lives. Uh, and have they gotten away from the, so, the sociopaths? Uh, pretty much, but, but they, they're, they're malingerers. They don't let go and they're yeah. pr- ultimately totally predatory. Wow. But was the was the kind of havoc and disruption they were wreaking? Was it just very low level and consistent, or were they doing major kind of moves? All it was the time? consistent with bursts. Wow. Yeah, and so, so there were bursts of, of malevolence. Yeah. And so this is my other question. So you know the way there's always two sides to every story, and your friend is always the victim in the in the breakup, and that's why you're their friend and you listen to them. And you're always you're often sitting there going, "Well, I'm sure there's another side to the story. I, I'll probably never hear it, and I don't really care because I'm your friend." Are sociopaths sociopathic to everybody in their lives or just the people they pick on? Or they probably have a preference of a type that is more susceptible. The, well, they, they prey on weakness. Oh, so, horrible, so a sociopath it? can smell the weakness. But interesting that you brought that up because John Ronson, who wrote The Psychopath Test, said, going back to the idea of classification, we, as humans, as journalists, as broadcasters, we, we are seeking to tell a story. Right, whoever we are, whatever walk of life we're in, we're seeking to create a narrative for ourselves. So if we create a narrative for somebody that they're a sociopath, anything that doesn't concur with that narrative, we just tend to ignore. Oh, wow. So, so we can miss the sociopath's good moments because mm. it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't help our story. But what I, what I find really interesting about this, right? So if you... Um, have you ever heard of the term FLK? No. So FLK is is shorthand in uh, general practitioner circles for funny looking kid, right? So that's <laughs> that's you know if a, if a doctor writes FLK, this is my favorite episode ever. <laughs> Look at that FLK. <laughs> so a doctor might write that down in the notes FLK. Funny uh, looking kid. Funny looking kid. No right? way. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> But equally, like at the equally <laughs> in, in um, psychologist and psychiatry parlance, um, personality distor- disorders fall into three clusters. Cluster A, cluster B and cluster C. Cluster A is mad and that could be paranoid schizophrenic. It could be, you know, profan- would, would a psychiatrist diagnosing madness you say mad? No, but these are these are common parlance, gotcha. right? So this isn't medical speak. This is our lingo of our sector and our profession is cluster A, cluster B or cluster C, right? So cluster A is is mad, right? Psychopathic, schizophrenic, like really profoundly in, not right. in, uh, unable to function Obviously in not the real right. world. Yeah. Uh, cluster C is sad. So that's the kind of depressives, the, the high anxiety. Um, and cluster B, the middle one, is bad. And they are the sociopaths, the psychopaths, the narcissists, the Machiavellians. So mad, 
bad and sad. Mad, bad and sad are the three buckets, clusters if of personality disorder. If you're suffering with a personality disorder. Yeah. So if you if you were at a cocktail party with a psychologist and they said, oh my God, I have to go to my uh, in-laws for a dinner party and they are so cluster B, right? That is not good news, right? For them because they have to go to a malevolent situation. But interestingly, I was listening to Dr. Ramani Durvasula, who is one of the leading experts in narcissistic behaviour um, in the world. And she was saying she now, if she's at a social event and she meets somebody who's really charming, she'll run a mile. If somebody starts complimenting her because she knows what she knows and can't unknow it, she sees that as an early warning sign that they may be a sociopath, a narcissist or a psychopath. Mm. Oh, well, that's her problem, no? Yeah, it is. It is. She's yeah. the woman who knows too much. But that, she say but that? that tends <clears throat> to be... Uh, so a sociopath or a psychopath will can disarm you with charm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I have this rare gift. I can tell when you've had your hair done. I can, it's so weird. And I think it's because I grew up in a hairdressing salon. That'll be it. And <clears throat> the minute you walk in the room, no matter who you are, I can say, a oh, nice haircut. People go, oh! And people are really happy when you notice their hair. Because it's uh, the last remaining compliment. That is <clears throat> acceptable. <laughs> that is acceptable. <laughs> that it's not about body shape or form. That it's not about weight loss or gain. That it's not a, It's not about your physical appearance. It's just about your hair and you, your hair looks good today. So it's still an acceptable compliment. Mm-hmm. But you can't really offend somebody. But... <laughs> I'm really I bet you could if you tried, though. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, if you met a, psycho- a psychologist who understood that and I went, nice hair, they'd go, bye-bye, and they'd run. Well, they might. Particularly if they know as much as Dr. Romani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's. I, I think it's really interesting. But I think if you go, go back, go back, go back and think we are now predisposed to this categorization piece. We want to put people in a box and say... This is your disorder. This is your position in my worldview. Uh, let's just take a little quick break, first of all, before we get into your book. You're looking, Brendan is primed with his book there. Woo! And we're back. So, now that I knew, this is from the book, now that I knew that I was not alone, that there were people out there much like me, I wanted to find out about us. And she did a lot of research, okay? And there's a big, long, very oldy-worldy passage. He gazed upon the mirth around him as if he could not participate therein. Apparently, the light laughter of only fairly attracted his attention that he might look... So this was a book written by John William Polidari, The Vampire, spelt with a Y, right? Written in 1819. John William Polidari wrote a novella called The Vampire, V-A-M-P-Y-R-E, inspired by a fragment by Lord Byron which would spark a vampire craze across the 19th century Europe and influence Bram Stoker. And the whole book was about sociopaths. And so sociopathic behaviour inspired Bram Stoker to write Dracula. So because they were, as we call some people in our family, life-sucking vampires. (laughs) (laughs) They're so cluster B. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. So back to sociopaths. Well, uh, I was reading an article which was sent to me by... Uh, the wonderful Lenny Abrahamson via the wonderful Catherine McGee last night it was in the New York Times and we'll link it in the mm-hmm. show notes about our current obsession with trauma and backstory. Mm-hmm. And oh, love that. Yeah. So everybody needs a backstory. Everybody mm-hmm. needs a trauma. And I think... Now, are, are you being cynical when you're saying that? Are you being a little judgy? Well, it's, a, it's an observation that it's become very much part of our culture. So I just because I think that's very interesting that you've made that point, right? So I I don't think anybody who's ever, who's not done therapy, right, has traced a trauma to childhood yet, right? But you I don't think, think they have. 
if you haven't done, if you haven't been told that it exists, you haven't done it, right? You don't know you have a trauma in your life, right? Uh, not necessarily. I think, a lot, I think that's why a lot of people are sociopaths or clunk around with bad mental health because they haven't traced the problem to the source. But, and I'm not saying it's all traceable and I'm not saying there's an answer for everything either, of course. Or I, it doesn't all create trauma. Oh, it does not create trauma, right? So I'm just wondering, is that a very New York perspective on trauma? I think it's necessarily New York. Think I think it's, it's been around for the last 100 years that that um, humankind decided that, that trauma and our backstory was part of who we were, like cut to montages and vignettes of flashbacks in all our popular culture and all of mm. that kind of stuff. But I think I have a very good friend, Donna, who, who talks a, a, anytime. So have you ever said this sentence? Oh, yeah, his ex-wife is a psycho. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody said it at some <laughs> yeah. stage. Or it, it, her ex-husband is a total sociopath. You know, yeah. uh, so you you alluded to it earlier on that everybody has a story and you're only hearing one side. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, I think we are really tuned into the trauma and impact of other people's behaviours now. And so maybe we would put the trauma first in some instance and backfill it to some sort of psychological disorder that allows us to create meaning of our own trauma. And then you read choice theory. Yes. (laughs) And And then you realise that the choice is yours, whether to bring that trauma with you, whether to call it trauma at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've read that the trauma of being born is imprinted on us. So if your mother screams in childbirth that that's a trauma that you take into adulthood, right? Now, I'm laughing at that because it's, I don't believe that. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, there's some much more qualified psychotherapists will take me down on that. But mm. I was I read that and went, but that's the most natural thing in the world to be born, right? And of course, it hurts. So she's going to scream and the women have been doing it for years. So uh, where do you stand on that kind of link? Is that what I you're talking know. about? I don't know. And I think, I think, um, I think it's time sort of culturally to start thinking about um, not bucketing people into... So how can you possibly say that that is a a blanket approach to a a universal trauma that everybody experiences at birth? You can't. And so are you saying are sociopaths born or made? Well, both. Oh. So it's a bit of both. So it's it's, you you are genetically predisposed to exhibit those behaviours, but then your environment Mm. creates... Mm -hmm. um, or, or, or um, exacerbates it or doesn't. Hmm. Hmm. The book is very interesting. This one, the one I've read, Confessions of a Sociopath, in that um, she has to keep reminding herself that she's a sociopath because she has to check her behaviour because her instinct is to be predatory. So that's really interesting. I hmm. also um, read an interview with a, a sociopath um, who who said that they don't go out because they know if they go out, something bad will happen. Oh God, imagine that. So, um, and, and they, and, and back to your original point, that if they go out and they are in a situation where they smell the weakness, mm. they know exactly who they're targeting. Yeah, because yeah, it's natural for them. For if, if that's just in you naturally, it's like, it's that, that's how your brain is kind of kept active. That's a game for you. And so you can't help but yeah. But that, the, yeah. the ultimate rub is that you go back to cluster A, B and C. So that's mad, bad and sad. So you look at um, uh, people who are coming for interventional therapy, right? So cluster A, those with really chronic psychological disorders, will generally present... Um, for for therapy of some description because they're in clinical care because they have to be in clinical care 
Cluster C, who are the sad, the depressives, the, the high anxiety, they will present because they are not happy with their situation and they want to change they it. They ask, for help. They, they ask for help. Cluster B, the bad ones, they don't see a problem, most of them. Yeah. They don't, everything's everything's, everything's fine. Yeah. So do we have any tips for watching out for the sociopath in your life and what should you do if you encounter one? Run. <laughs> Keep away. <laughs> I've just had an idea. It's a great way to break up with someone. Listen, I'm really sorry to break up with you, but I'm actually a sociopath, so you're better off without yeah, me. Yeah. I'm raising the red flag. We, we both watched that um, documentary. Oh, The Puppet Master. The Puppet Master. On Netflix. Yeah, and we watched it at, to research this piece around coercive control, and that's... He is definitely a sociopath. Yeah. Because he was re- repeated, Remorseless. Remorseless and repeatedly um, entrapping women with... Um, You've just said the word. Coercive control. Coercive control. And it's fascinating. It's on Netflix. The Puppet Master is an English guy. He's still out there now at large. He got he went oh, to prison, yeah. but it was quashed. And so it's really a story about coercive control. They don't really talk about him being a sociopath, do they? But they don't. A, they it, don't ever mention the word. No, but it's very but all, obvious. But all the signs are there in my diagnostic yeah. position. <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Sonia. You're watching and there's a very capable, smart woman called Sarah who was coercively controlled for 10 years, moved from safe house to safe house herself she mm-hmm. was he didn't drive her there she went there willingly changed her name hid he coercively controlled for and if she was an isolated incident you'd go come on girl you could have left they could have left at any point that's why his appeal worked mm-hmm. because he was coercively controlled but because he's done so many women many women have disappeared even so they don't know if they're dead or where they're gone but because he's done what they know of six women he's coerced for control for years it actually is a real reality he preyed on their weakness he convinced simultaneously simultaneously it's, un- it's an unbelievable story. So it really puts credence to he smelled vulnerability. He went in after he saw no nothing wrong with what he was doing. He still sees nothing wrong. And he still has the, the documentary is led by the two adult children of the last victim who's still coercively under his power, even though she's claiming when they bring her that she's happy. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is fascinating. And what, they, what, what the Epsteins did with their, those young women as coercive control as well. They weren't under lock and key. They could have got into a boat, onto a plane. They could have left at any point. But they were being coercively controlled. And that's a, a sociopath, 100%, mm. isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. insane. A, a sort of a, not only a willingness to inflict pain on others, but a desire to prey and inflict pain on and others. And so if there's one in 25 and they're moving through our world... Um, not to raise any alarms or make anybody run out and point fingers and scream like the body snatchers but you know if you do identify a sociopath would it be like could you be in a a parent-teacher meeting and somebody's being really irrational or would you see it at a party or is there any signs to watch for? It seems to be very much based in the relational. Okay. So it's not incidental and, and so you could you might encounter one incidentally but it wouldn't have any necessary impact but it's in it's in it's in the kind of clutches of a relational situation where it really comes to bear and that's certainly layered as well it's very layered and it's very it's very incremental is this in some way linked to gaslighting so is there a way that you could in some way say you know when somebody Mm -hmm. says I've been gaslit but they're gaslighting me okay Esther explain gaslighting You've explained it to me before, remember? I don't think I have to explain. So let me get a proper definition because I don't want to say... Well, it's, it's a consistent undermining of your, particularly your psychological state. So, you know, they, they would tell you you don't feel how you feel. Yeah, it's a, a psychological means into doubting their own... Manipulate someone by psychological means into doubting their own sanity. So someone could tell you that that penguin is pink and you're like, you really know the penguin is black and white, but you're like, 
they're so assured of it. They, it kind of makes you makes you twist now, your own perception. There's, there's a connection, and I, this is clunky, and and I, this is a question. This is not. A, I'm asking you to answer this. So there's a question about gaslighting online, right? So it's it's saying. It comes out of the Me Too movement, right? So it's saying a woman says such and such happened and, and the man says, no, it didn't. And she's gone, you're gaslighting me. Is that, am I correct? And she can accuse that of gaslighting. It depends on the it feels, content. Yeah, but so I say, think if you go back to the penguin for a second, mm. so it would be very hard to um, convince somebody that the penguin was pink. Mm. It, it would be less hard to convince somebody that the white of the penguin, penguin had a pink hue to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so yeah, it's yeah, this yeah. kind of build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so I think that's what people find really hard to get their head around, that it's layers and layers and layers and layers mm. of undermining. Right. And, and, and it's back to that consistency piece, that if it's a one-off incident, um, uh, you're, maybe you're just being oppositional. Maybe you're just saying, no. Mm-hmm. You know, but if it's if it's this kind of build, then you're into this kind of consistent undermining. So it's when somebody makes a claim on Twitter or something and then other people come in and support them. And then somebody comes in and says that never happened. That's gaslighting. Is that correct? Am I wrong? I think if everybody were more subtle but than would that. Gas- yeah, someone... would gaslighting be the action of a sociopath? I'm asking. Yes. I... And, and to me, gaslighting is and you're right, there is a. A, a sort of a prevalence of it on social media yeah. where I see it really comes to bear is in again that interrelational piece yeah. where you're kind of consistently chopped oh, it's chopped, horrible chopped. isn't yeah. it it's horrible but it's like the idea of gaslighting kind of similar to the, the idea of everyone kind of claiming their trauma their past trauma is sort of more fashionable now so almost gaslighting is getting a, a negative press that's so what I mean it's kind of been maybe a, an, an expert so, or a sociopath would kind of turn it in it's not gaslighting you're just saying that because everyone's well, saying like, that's what I hear I yeah. hear people being accused people accusing people of gaslighting them and then you can hear the not so woke brigade saying there's people calling out gaslighting again mm. and I've always been curious, like look try and look in the middle and see what's actually see what, you, what truth you can find exactly and, and it comes back to well that's my truth yeah and particularly in interrelationships when you break up from a relationship your truth is one version of the inter of the relationship and their truth is the other one and I'm wondering if the injured party tends to be the victim can be the victim of a sociopath you know is it clearer Possibly. You, you, I, mean, I mean, I think fascinating, isn't it, it is. And a conversation that's come up or a, a, a topic that's come up, you know, even in the last episode around narcissism. So between 1996 and 2006, is that right? No, 1976 and 2006, uh, the rates of narcissism rose by 30 percent in <laughs> American, American college. Mirror students. sales. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually around statements Mirror around sales. self-importance. Oh. I am a really important person is Oh right, steady on. <laughs> Just got a first, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> um but but they, they ask people how 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 would you rate yourself in terms of your own self importance? And that's at the core of defining people's sense of narcissism. And that rose thirty percent up to two thousand and six. We're now Another, uh, yeah, nearly mm. twenty years on from so that, I can that, only imagine that it's risen ex- exponentially yeah, uh, again. And then you're back to the the convergence of narcissism, consumerism, individualism, apology. and all that feeds into perhaps a, a heightened sort of so- sociopathic behaviour. So yeah, so I always think in a very simple way. Back in the day. We knew the priest, the doctor, and the teacher were more, and the policeman was more important than us. Or we knew the lord who owned the manor where we farmed was more intelligent, more closer yeah. to God. 
they were closer to God. So we knew our place and we accepted yeah. our place. And actually, it was a simpler existence when people accepted their place. Some people didn't have fought through, but they very few. And now when we wake up and we tell our children, you are just as valuable as anybody else is born on there, which is exactly the message you should be telling any human. With that comes a new awakening, right? A new awareness of your own self-worth. And with that, obviously on the fringes of it, you're going to get narcissism, right? Yeah. Actually, because I'm not just worth something. I'm worth more than you. So it kind of heightens and it's imbalanced. Interesting. Because we're all the main characters in our own film now. Totally. That's it. We're oh, like... right. What uh, What are you two on today? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so, so Dr. Robert Hare is the psychologist who designed the psychopath checklist and the psychopath test test and on his website which we'll put in the show notes you can test yourself for your own levels of psychopathy oh. and sociopathy um, lovely way to spend a Friday isn't it you do love a little I love a little online <laughs> test <laughs> but um, the rates of sociopathy and psychopathy run at 8 to 1 men to women what Eight to one, yeah. men to women. So yeah. most for, for antisocial dis- personality disorder. So it's testosterone. You think? It's aggression. It's, and it's also nurture. It's men are told they're stronger, faster, fitter. They can have what they want. Take what you want. Men are bred this kind of you Message. Hunter, hunter-gatherer, take what you want. Uh, you know, that's really basic way of saying it. But it, uh, eight to one seems really over the top. Harsh, though. isn't it? Wow. So you're eight times more likely to be a, a sociopath or, or to have antisocial personality disorder if you're a man than a woman. God damn it. Ugh, thank God I'm a homo. <laughs> <laughs> Every morning I wake up and thank God you're a homo. <laughs> well, we probably offended everybody in this episode, so... Or we, or we could release it as merch. Lads, yeah. lads, I think it's time to go. Uh, we could release it as merch. Yeah, <laughs> Come on, thank God you're a homo. <laughs> oh, homo, you didn't. Okay, stop. <laughs> the Len and Courtney podcast is an Exceed Potential production. Esther O'Mordonahu is producer and social media is managed by Julie Gartland with special thanks to D-Ready at Go Loud. Follow at Len and Courtney on all social media platforms for the latest news and updates. New episodes are released every Thursday. Right.